From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. For the first time in seven years, the Gators have a chance to win 10 games in the regular season, and to do it would require their first home win over Florida State in a decade. Needless to say, there's a lot at stake this Thanksgiving weekend, and the pressure is certainly on the heavily favored orange and blue. On today's show, we'll gather for a roundtable feast with FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry to discuss the magnitude of this matchup with the Seminoles, the sudden reversal of fortune for men's basketball, and the best Disney movies in the PAT. Then, senior wide receiver Van Jefferson joins us for a career retrospective covering his growth since transferring from Ole Miss, his favorite moments in the swamp, and much more. But first, there's no doubting the hype level for Saturday's game against Florida State, with Florida having the chance to check a number of boxes in the process of going out with a bang. So as the Gators prepare to go under the lights against the Knolls, we began our roundtable with Scott and Chris asking them to dig into the details. To me, this game represents a, a chance to just keep the momentum going and uh, for the first time in a long time, have a winning streak over Florida State. you got to remember, they lost five in a row before Dan Mullen came in last season and the Gators finally got that, that victory over the Seminoles and it catapulted them into the bowl season where they, they beat another team that they hadn't beaten in a while in Michigan. I'd never beat Michigan until the bowl game. So, you know, they came back in year two under Mullen, and they've they've kind of picked up right where they left off. They're 9-2, and two, and it's a chance for a 10-win season, a 10-win regular season. Uh, keeps hope alive for the 11-win season that I think we uh, we mentioned on last week's show, how rare that's been in Florida's history. And, you know, Adam, you, you pointed out in your intro, I mean, they have not beaten Florida State at home since 2009. Uh, that was Tim Tebow's final game, and you know, Dan Mullen was asked about that earlier this week. And, you know, this question phrased it like almost assuming that he had at least spent some time watching that game since he, he was in his first year at Mississippi State and had such a close relationship with Tebow. He says, no, man, I you didn't see that game at all. He was too busy celebrating an Egg Bowl victory out of Mississippi State and, and then recruiting and uh, you know, he he wasn't having anything with the narrative so much of the streak against Florida State at home. They've lost four in a row. He finally danced around a few questions, and it came back to the point that he reminded everyone that they won last year, and that's the one that he remembers <laughs> the most, and that he understands why that streak exists. Florida State had some really good teams uh, this decade, you know, won a national title while Florida was going through three coaches. That's really why that streak exists. But I think you know they're they're favored by, I want to say it's still at 17 or so, which is a, a big uh, favorite over Florida State. You don't get that very often against the Seminoles. So I could see that streak finally maybe reaching to in their favor. But they're going to have to go out there on an emotional day. It's senior day. Uh, they're going to be saying goodbye to a, a lot of players that have meant a lot to the program. So you're going to have those emotions. You're going to have a night game in the swamp. So a lot, a lot to stake, Adam. And uh, most importantly for Florida, it's just a chance, as I said, to continue 
I guess, the goodwill tour uh, under Dan Mullen in his first two seasons. Let's not forget motivation for the fans. Just, I mean, Spurrier was here and he got things going. He tried to make the SEC so big and the Georgia game was always big. And he, the Tennessee game, of course, was big. When you lose to Florida State five years in a row, um, that became the big game. And to satisfy the appetite of, of the Florida faithful, they need a home win over FSU and they need a convincing one to really, uh, I'm not saying to settle the masses because uh, I think by and large, the, the fan base is very, very happy with Dan Mullen and, and, you know, very, very happy with him and should be. But uh, they want to add to Florida State's misery. There's a lot of uncertainty going on up there relative to the coaching search. And if you want to flip it around and say, like, obviously, this could make Florida State season. Uh, FSU is going to go to a bowl game. Um, no one knows who their coach is going to be. But I imagine if they were to come in the swamp and win, there would be a lot of pressure for them to uh, stay the course and, and maintain uh, interim coach Odell Hagan. It's an important game for them. Um, he has them on a two-game winning streak. Uh, they're playing better, but uh, obviously this is a little bit different challenge from their standpoint. Um, but, I mean, Florida needs to look at it at, at, at the challenge that it is. I mean, Cam Akers is a future NFL player. He's going to be very good next level. Um, Tamari and Terry, 44 catches. He's averaged 20 yards a catch. He's got eight touchdowns. Uh, James Blackman has played pretty well these uh, two games and since uh, Odell Hagens has taken over. So just on the face of it, it's Florida, Florida State, and you really don't have to throw a bunch, bunch of stuff into there. But you know FSU is going to come in jacked up. Uh, Florida is obviously going to be jacked up. I think, uh, you know, X's and O's wise, Flo- uh, Florida's offense can make some hay with a Florida State defense is uncharacteristically number 11 in the ACC. They're giving it 433 yards a game. I mean, you, can, you put that into context the, over the years of some of Florida State's defenses that they rolled out there. Those are those are some pretty beefy numbers right there. But um, back to my original point, um, I think the fans would like to experience, and I don't know how other to put it other than to say further FSU humiliation. And Florida's going to have that chance to do that this weekend, but obviously they're going to have to play really, really well to accomplish that. You know, speaking of FSU and, and what Florida's going to be able to do against them, I thought it was interesting this week when Dan Mullen was asked about what are the challenges of calling plays when you can't run the ball? He said, well, it's easy. You just don't call running plays. And then was also asked about the, the balance of the offense and said, yeah, it's very balanced. We throw to you know all of our receivers equally. So I think he's having some fun kind of tongue-in-cheek with the, the limitations that Florida has with their play calling. But yet here we are. They're about to get through the regular season still basically just relying on the pass. And, and you've got to think, especially as undisciplined as FSU has been defensively, that's likely where they're going to make their hay this weekend. I mean, you look at Florida's stats, Adam, and they've got over 3,200 yards passing through 11 games. And uh, guess what the last year that's happened when they've had that high number of passing yards through 11 games. You have to go all the way back to the last year of the fun and gun uh, in 2001 with Steve Spurrier and Rex Grossman. Back then, I think it was around 4,500 yards through 11 games. So they were, they were chucking the ball around more than these gators are. But still, yet yeah, that speaks to what Dan Mullen and the offense has had to do, uh, utilizing what they have to work with, uh, with the young and inexperienced offensive line, uh, being unable to really get a power run game going all year. You know, they've had to rely more on the pass, uh, more on Kyle Trask and Emory Jones, some some of their runs, uh, design runs, some misdirection runs with receivers. 
And then they, they try to pick up those tough yards when they can, but they, they've been hard to come by. As you guys have pointed out, Florida State's defense uh, not exactly putting any fear in anybody. If they're ranked 11th in the ACC, uh, that means uh, the SEC teams, are pro- they probably look at that matchup pretty favorably, whether it was Florida playing them or most of the other offenses in the SEC. It is a very uncharacteristic defense for the Seminoles. You know there's going to be some talented players over there. There always, uh, always are. But, uh, you know, that, that's what they're going to do. If they're going to win this game, you're going to go out here and throw the ball some. Uh, that's just the identity of this team. And, again, we probably talked about it before on the show. I just I, – anytime that you have to make an adjustment to really – the identity of your team in season like the Gators have kind of had to do once Felipe Franks went down. And, and I think the realization that they needed more, I guess, talent, more depth on the offensive line that they had yeah, I just that's good coaching to me, and I, I think that's what they've done there. Um, I think when you think about a team that is struggling to run the ball, you think of struggles on the offensive line, you know, to make creases and lanes for the for the backs to make yards. But um, I think you'll agree with me on this. I mean, you do have to give credit to the offensive line a little bit for a pass blocking for Kyle Trapps. It hasn't been great um, all the time because uh, I know that the last Missouri game he had some pretty bad sacks or what have you, but. Um, by and large, the protection for him has been pretty good, and they've worked in harmony to some degree. And I think they've kind of got a little chemistry back there. And Trask has become pretty good at kind of buying himself time and kind of moving laterally to get to a space to give him a, maybe a little time for his players, uh, to his, for his receivers to uncover downfield. So uh, while those running game numbers and Flores' running game numbers are obviously are not very good, you know, the, the adjustments that, like Scott said, it's coaching. Um, part of that falls into coaching is adapting and they have adapted as best they could with what they have by um, playing to their strengths. And right now that's, that's intermediate uh, uh, and short passing, uh, making that into, into some element of the running game. And when you got so many receivers that can catch the ball and get yards after the catch, that is some element of a surprise. So uh, this is no shock. Dan Mullen is, is as good an offensive uh, coach as there is in the country certainly among the best uh, up there. So uh, uh, good for him, and he deserves credit for that. Yeah, I mean, I agree with Chris and his point about the offensive line. I think that position is one that is probably over-scrutinized and misunderstood about as much as any position in the game. I think they're, you know, they do need to get better there. Uh, they need to create more depth there. But uh, with what they have to work with and with the way the offense has changed, I'm like Chris, they have shown some signs of improving over the course of the year. They're just not the kind of offensive line that is going to go out and dominate really good defensive lines in the run game. But you can still win games a lot of different ways, and I think that's what the Gators have obviously been able to do. On the other side of the ball, defensively, it's been a source of lots of injuries for Florida. And uh, I know one of the questions a lot of fans have is, who all is going to be on the field this weekend for Senior Day? Because some of the biggest names are seniors, and there are some guys who haven't played even since the, the Georgia game. So, Scott, I'm thinking primarily of, of Jabari Zuniga, but can you tell us who we expect to see and who's going to be full go on Saturday? Well, you know, Jabari Zuniga is a guy who they've been waiting on really since the Georgia game after he played there and uh, then left again with the injured ankle. And Dan Mullen has said earlier this week he's been cleared to go and they uh, expect him to be able to practice at full speed. And that would be a huge addition for Florida. And he also kind of surprised uh, some with um, Amari Bernie 
uh, the linebacker is ahead of schedule. And they're thinking that he can get back out there against Florida State. So, you know, if you get those two guys back in uh, on defense, that certainly adds to that uh, unit uh, because they know they're still going to be out uh, without Jeremiah Moon. He's he's not going to be back. His best bet at this point is to perhaps get back by the bowl game from an injured foot uh, he suffered in the Georgia game. But I mean, Jabari's a nigga. He's an interesting case study for Gators this year because he was really the leader of that defense. He was kind of going to be the star on that side of the ball. You got to remember he went up to uh, SEC media days back in the summer and uh, was named first team all SEC. And then he had a high ankle injury at Kentucky. Got the same game that Felipe uh, Franks got hurt. He has a high ankle sprain and you know, you just never know about those, and it's it's really hampered him all year. The glimpse that we got since then in the Georgia game, I mean, he made a couple of really big-time plays early in that game, but then he re-aggravated and didn't play again, and uh, he's really been quiet since then. So it'd be a good way for him to get back on the field, a, a good boost to Florida's defense, and the, they're hoping that, you know, they, they get him back. But that's the big name right now, Adam, who the Florida hopes to have back. We've talked a lot about recruiting and how important that is for Florida to get to that next level where they want to be. And I think a lot of people look at this weekend as a big recruiting weekend because you have all the in-state prospects who might be looking at both schools, weighing their options. What's the significance of this game this weekend in terms of the recruiting impact for Florida? Well, you know, the perception is, Adam, that, you know, it's a huge game for both sides. And Dan Mullen was asked specifically about that, and he had a different view. He says, he doesn't really look at it as being a, a huge game for recruits. Like you're going to swing, you know, several players one way or the other. Uh, that's that's not the way he looks at this game. What he looks at it as, it's a huge, uh, his in his exact words, uh, taste in the mouth effect. Meaning you're gonna you're gonna have to live with that bitter taste for a year if you lose, but you get the sweet taste if you win. And you know, in his first year, he won it. So he's had that sweet taste for uh, about a year now. He, he wants to get another shot at it uh, on Saturday night at the Swamp. And th- that's what rivalry games are to me. I mean, sure, you've seen a recruit here and there over the years. Uh, Dante Fowler Jr. is one that comes to mind from the Florida side that, you know, he flipped on National Signing Day to come to Florida, even though I think uh, they had lost the previous year uh, to the Simmels. And I'm sure you've seen others over the years. But really what, when you talk to players down the road and coaches who have been in this, it's just one of those personal uh, matchups where you know if you win, uh, your fans, your family, your friends, they're going to like you a lot more than if you lose for the next year. So that's to me where that's really what Dan Mullen's talking about and I think uh, really what makes people care so much about these kind of games. So if you set the stage for football this weekend, obviously everyone's had their eyes focused on that. From a basketball perspective, all eyes were on Charleston to see how Florida performed in this uh, pretty grueling three games and four days environment of this Charleston Classic. And, you know, Chris, we talked about it's a young team, but they're very talented. They're going to do some things that surprise you in a negative way, which they did in the first couple weeks of the year. And then they'll turn the other direction. They'll surprise you positively, which is obviously what happened up in Charleston. Yeah, and I don't think they did a whole lot. Uh, you mentioned those first couple weeks to to make you step back and say, "Wow, this is a this is going to be a good team." You didn't see a whole lot of that, I don't think, in the first four games. Uh, certainly not in the Florida State loss. Certainly not uh, up at UConn. They did play a little better 
um, in that game. But uh, to Mike Mike's point, after beating Xavier in the championship game late Sunday night, uh, he, they were talking in the locker room afterwards about you know how things had changed. Uh, the team changed the narrative a little bit in the course of a week because leaving UConn after scoring 20 points in the first half, granted they held U- UConn to 25 in the first half, but the disjointed uh, nature uh, appearance of the offense uh, through those first four games, uh, they go to Charleston, they fix some things, they uh, simplify some things, they emphasize some things, role definition a little bit more. They, they didn't have the availability of some players. So I think that some things were crystallized in Charleston. They beat uh, St. Joe's in a game um, by eight points. It was mostly a close game most of the most of the time. They beat Miami by 20, and then they come into against the Xavier team, which uh, of their first, I believe, their eight rotation players, seven of them are either juniors or seniors. Counted up, they had 300 career college starts in that rotation. They had a, a couple grad transfers who were uh, all league type players in in mid major conferences, and and a very tough team. Uh, Xavier is a beastly defensive in-your-face team, and Florida matched their intensity. They matched their energy. They matched their toughness. Got out to a 17-point lead. Shot the ball really well. Found their stroke. Um, I did a to crunch the numbers, Adam, and going into the tournament, Florida was shooting uh, just under 39% as a team and 24% from the three-point line in the three games in the tournament. They shot 48% and almost 41% from three and scored 10 more points a game than they had before they got there. So people talk about how bad the offense looked. Well, part of that was because shots weren't going in. You know, you knew Noah Locke was going to make shots eventually. I don't want to say everything has changed, but when you go there and you play as well as they did and play as hard as they did, um, now they got a baseline from which to go back to saying, hey, remember how we did it against Xavier. You know what they're finding out now uh, what some of their strengths are. And I think one of them without question. And we knew Kerry Blackshear was going to be that. But Kerry Blackshear is also a very calming voice for this team of a bunch of young guys. I mean, after him, eight guys played the other day. All of them were freshmen or sophomores. Hmm. Uh, uh, nobody, there's no, you know, no juniors played. No other seniors are on this team. So uh, you know he's going to get some numbers. He's now has five double doubles in seven games, and one game he played five minutes because of foul trouble and an ejection. So uh, that kind of staggers those numbers a little bit. But what you do know about this team, you know, Kerry Blackshear is going to be really good. He's going to rebound. You know, you got to get the ball to Keontae Johnson because he is a uh, animal uh, when he gets the ball going downhill and he makes up his mind that he's going to drive the basketball. Uh, Andrew Nemhard is finding uh, some rhythm with his three-point shot, which wasn't very good last year. He hit three in the game uh, against Xavier. Uh, Noah Locke hit, uh, I believe he was 8 of 16 for the tournament. And I believe at the, I think he went there 5 for 24. So I think we found out and what we knew already. Scotty Lewis, while he's not a great shooter, he was 1 for 7 in the Xavier game. He is a game changer on the defensive end, Adam, and Lord help the guy who he guards um, <laughs> because he's bouncing all around. He's jumping for tips. I mean, in transition, he is he's flying down the, the court. He's making blocks out of nowhere. Um, this is why he's going to be a lottery pick next year. I don't think that's I don't think the perception of him on that front has changed just because maybe he's not scoring as much as people thought. I think uh, the Gator fans got a little introduction into what Quez Glover, the freshman point guard, only 5'11", remarkably quick, um, what he can do for an offense in terms of a change of pace kind of thing. I'm sure there are some people who were surprised to see some of the moves, the quickness that he displayed 
uh, zipping through a very good Xavier defense for a couple of layups. He knows how to use his body and get shots off and he can hit three pointers. He didn't, I think he missed nine of his first 10 attempts, but he made some in this tournament, including one big one uh, during the second half of the game against the Musketeers. So some things are coming about. Uh, Mike White was uh, quick to point out, um, Adam, in the late in that game, Florida was had a pretty comfortable lead, a double-digit lead. But in the last six minutes, how about 0 for 6 from the floor with five turnovers? That's not how you close, but they did defend enough to uh, to get a stop on the key possession. Blackshear rebound, Blackshear two free throws. You get out of Charleston with the first uh, holiday tournament win for this program in 10 years. So uh, those are positive things for this uh, for this team as it as it heads uh, further into the non-conference season. In terms of what we should immediately expect, what's next schedule-wise with the holiday and then in terms of the games that will follow, how does this stack up for Florida next week? Yeah, obviously with the Florida-Florida State football game Saturday, the night before that, uh, Florida plays Marshall in a what is a 9 p.m. tip off a little late for my liking for a game <laughs> like that. But uh, after that, because we're getting close to the end of the semester, obviously the games get spaced out a little more. So after that Marshall game, Flor- Florida is not home again until December 28th. They play three games over the course of the following three weeks. Uh, they're at Butler the following weekend, which is uh, it's going to be at Hinkle Fieldhouse. People have been talking about that. That's the back end of a home-and-home series the Gators agreed to. Butler was obviously here last year. They're in Brooklyn at the Barclay Center to play Providence, another really good team. And then on December 21st, uh, four days after that Providence game, they're down there in South Florida for that Sunrise uh, Classic. And it, you see Utah State on the schedule, and you think, oh, okay, Utah State. Well, uh, they're a pretty damn good team. They've already beaten LSU. They were in the NCAA tournament last year. I think they won 25 games last year. So that'll be – well, sometimes that's a throwaway kind of game. It's not going to be this year. Uh, that And so by the time Florida uh, does play one more home game, excuse me, uh, December 28th against Long Beach State, and then opens conference season January 4th at home against Alabama. So by the time they get to the start of the SEC schedule, uh, they will have had some battle-tested kind of um, games to kind of get there and – you know, they're going to find out, obviously, a lot more about themselves over the course of the next uh, five weeks. Make sure to keep up with everything going on with basketball by following Chris uh, at Gators Chris. Best place to find out all the updates. I want to move now to our PAT, though. And uh, I got a phone one for you guys this week. I've been thinking a lot about Disney movies. I don't know if you guys have Disney Plus, uh, the new streaming service with every Disney movie pretty much ever made on there. But it's become a staple in my household with a a girlfriend that is obsessed with all things Disney. So it's got us talking a lot about our Disney favorites. And I was thinking, you guys must have favorites too, either from yesteryear or things you appreciate now with your kids. So I'm going to leave this one up to you. Favorite Disney movie or movies, if one is too hard to choose for you. Now, this isn't a Disney. Is Toy Story a Disney movie? Technically, it's a Pixar movie, but we'll count it as a Disney movie for the purposes of this. Yeah. Whoa, 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 whoa. We're not well, going to count it. Well, I don't. I'm asking you. Why? What's the? What are the parameters for this question? Because you know, when you hand out these PATs every week, Adam, I like I do a deep dive into these things <laughs> and start doing some research. So you want so it to be? It, you want it just? So classic is, is it or isn't it? Is Pixar a Disney company? It is now. Yeah, it's yeah. been for the last ten years. When I, when I think of Disney movies, you know, you, you instantly think of The Lion King. Right. Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast. Snow White. Snow, yeah, White. Snow White, yeah. You know, you think of those movies, but now their inventory has expanded so much, and that's why when we got Disney Plus, 
I saw all these movies in there that, you know, I didn't really associate with Disney in my head, but like a Toy Story is a Pixar. And I mean, when I, the, all the movies that my kids watched over the last few years that I've watched with them, I, I mean, I, Toy Story is my favorite by far. Uh, the original one, which what came out in the mid-90s? 1995. Yeah, so the, the original one back then, I even remember maybe seeing it back then. I think that was a cool little movie. But then as I've had kids over the last decade or so, and they've made a couple more, and I've watched them both, and really good storyline, but also the technology just brings these characters. I mean, they look like it's amazing the realism that they can pull it off with. And so if you're asking me what my favorite Disney movie is that, that Disney owns, I'm going with Toy Story. If you're asking me like the, a classic Disney movie by uh, made by Dis- the Disney brand or studio, I don't know. Chris might have a better answer. <laughs> oh, I have, a mu- I have a much better answer as usual. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, look at that. Well, it's also it's also inspired by uh, you know Frozen Two came out this weekend. It's the biggest movie in the world, so it's just, there's a heavy dose of Disney happening in the world right now. I'm trying to I'm trying to latch us onto the zeitgeist here. First of all, Star Wars is not a Disney movie. I don't care if they bought it or yeah, not. Yeah, Star Wars is not will never be a Disney movie. We'll right? count, Can we agree on that? We'll count Pixar. We will not count Marvel and Star Wars. I think that's fair. Well, my favorite. Uh, I mean, I gotta gotta break this up a little bit. But I mean, cartoon wise, it's Beauty and the Beast. I mean, I had a, a very young daughter when that when that came out, and gosh, we must have watched that a hundred times together. <laughs> and so I took I took her to see Beauty and the Beast on Broadway, and mm. um, it really it really softened you up. <laughs> it, it, as you as you can tell. However, my favorite Disney movie, and this is a legit Disney movie, uh, from uh, being being an old man that I am. Is Mary Poppins, and not just crap Mary Poppins with Emily Blunt either. <laughs> I'm talking about Julie Andrews and Dick Van Dyke and Chim Chimney, Chim Chimney, Chim Chim Cherie. Uh, that was good Disney stuff. Um, I will say I like the live action version of Jungle Book pretty much because I, I really did like the cartoon that came out. I think in '67 when I was a little kid and remember going to see that in the movie theaters, but uh, I actually liked the live action uh, jungle book. I haven't seen the live action lion King or I saw some of the beauty and the beast. that didn't do a lot, a whole lot for me, but uh, I did. I, I did like the, the jungle book rendition of it pretty well. I, I also like the live action quote unquote jungle book, but I don't like the effect that's had, which is now telling them the market wants them to remake every old movie with CGI and have that be considered a new product when it's really just, it's uh, it's just a, a retread using new technology. Um, I agree with that. I agree with that. If they didn't oversaturate us with it, I mean, I could. If they had just stopped after the Jungle Book, I wouldn't be fine with that. But it looks like we're getting everyone, including a a, a blue Will Smith as a as Aladdin. Yes, right? yes. We didn't need we didn't need in the span of one year Aladdin, Dumbo, Lion King, and Lady and the Tramp. Um, oh my gosh! That's all this year. That's actually all within about a seven month stretch. So. We need we need originals. We need new original content like Aladdin. That was my favorite growing up. Always loved Aladdin. The, you know, the Will Smith genie was not terrible. I'll say it was better than I thought it was going to be. But still, we need Disney to get back to producing original stories that will wow us and make us feel like we were kids again, just like they did back in the day. Um, well, in any case, uh, not going to be a lot of time to watch Disney movies this week because it's obviously a huge, huge stage for Gator sports. Basketball is back in action in the O'Connell Center. And then obviously... Uh, the big one, Florida, Florida State, under the lights of the swamp. And you guys will both be writing about that over at FloridaGators.com and on Twitter at Gators Scott. 
and at Gators Chris. Uh, gentlemen, thank you so much, and, and have a great Thanksgiving. Thank you, and happy Thanksgiving to you, Adam. Yes, same to you, Adam. The Gators went through a considerable dry spell of skill position talent before Dan Mullen arrived, and one of his first additions to the roster was transfer Van Jefferson. The former Ole Miss Rebel morphed into a leader on a team that is now rich with wide receivers, but his short stint in the swamp is rapidly approaching its end. We spoke to Van about the memories he's made and the legacy he hopes to leave behind, but began our chat with the Tennessee native by discussing how the Gators spent their oddly timed third bye week of the year. Got to, we got some time to go home and rest, you know, rest our bodies and things like that. And uh, Coach Mullen uh, gave us the whole weekend off, you know, to go visit with our families and things like that. And um, and I think this week, man, we're just, you know, just focused and ready to go. I think, uh, you know, everything is clicking in our favor, man. And we're just, you know, working hard. And uh, it's a big game Saturday against a rival in Florida State. So I think we're all ready to go. But, you know, right now we're just taking it one day at a time. And uh, when the game comes on Saturday, we'll be ready. You know, it's been such an interesting year for this offense, given how you sort of had to change course when Felipe went down, then Kyle comes in, then you got Emery in the mix as well. As the son of a coach, I'm sure you can sort of see this in a different perspective. Can you just talk about the ways that you've seen the coaches adjust and adapt to keep the offense moving despite some of the, the challenges that are there? Yeah, I think uh, Coach Mullen and the whole staff did a great job uh, when Felipe went down, you know, uh, you know, we got two great quarterbacks in Kyle Trask and Emory Jones that, you know, that stepped right up and uh, came in. And when the number was called, they made the plays. And I think um, Kyle Trask is doing a great job for us right now. Also, Emory Jones, I think, uh, you know, the coaches just put them in positions, you know, for them to be successful. So I think uh, when you do that and put the players in, you know, great positions, you know, it's going to uh, success is going to come. Now, Kyle Trask has been doing a great job. I think the coaches, I mean, that's just a testament to the coaches, you know, just training us and uh, putting us in the right positions. And I think uh, Kyle has been preparing for this moment ever since he got to Florida. So uh, when he stepped on that field, I mean, it was no surprises. I always like to ask guys about the, the biggest influences on their athletic career. And I'm assuming that either your biggest or one of your biggest is your dad. But other than him, I'm curious who's had the biggest impact on your career and why. I have an uncle. Um, his name is uh, Terrence Butler, and um, he played at Louisville. And um, uh, he's always been a big influence on my life. Um, we talk probably every day. Um, you know, he always keep me uplifted and always uh, keeping me going. Uh, like you said, he's probably, the, you know, my dad is the first, but he's probably the second that, you know, that has. And then, uh, of course, my mom, too. My mom has been a really big influence on my life. I think I remember um, times when I was at Ole Miss and I was down, man, and I was uh, not, you know, feeling the same, man. My mom and my uncle, you know, those are two people that are there. And, you know, of course, my dad was. But, uh, you know, sometimes my dad is, you know, busy and all that. So I can't get a hold of him like that. But those two people, my mom and my uncle, were kind of like the stronghold when uh, I was going through uh, a hard time at Ole Miss. I think those are like the two people other than my dad that have really helped me out. Advice can come in a lot of forms and sometimes I'm sure it's related to on the field. Sometimes it's off. But uh, just thinking about wisdom that's been shared with you over the years, what's the best advice you feel like you've ever been given? Uh, Best advice I think I've ever been given is like my dad, my dad told me one time, my dad just, you know, he said, just learn to be where your feet are. You know, he means, you know, just learn to be where you're at right now. Learn to be in the moment that you're in right now. You know, uh, don't uh, don't try to step in anybody else's shoes. You know, just stay in yours, you know, and everything will work out the way that you want it, want it to be. I think sometimes, you know, 
you kind of get caught up in what uh what other people are doing when you just need to worry about you know what you're doing and what your place is in life you know so i think uh my dad's just told me you know just learn to be where your feet at man and uh just always keep working hard and keep trucking down don't ever give up looking at where your feet have you now when you reflect back on your career which has been two schools and a lot of hard times in there in what ways do you think you've grown the most over the course of your career uh, i think i just i think i matured a lot i think um my maturity level is high. I think, uh, you know, coming from Ole Miss, you know, um, just coming into this new coaching staff and having a new joy for the game, man. I think uh, just being me, me being mature, man, and just bringing that in here. I think I learned a lot when I was at Ole Miss, and uh, uh, especially, you know, when I had my when I had my little girl, man. That brought a lot into me. You know, I had to grow up quick. So I think just me being mature, man, and uh, just learning a lot from my past experience, man. I think that helped me out a lot. I know that last year you were one of the the many juniors that considered going to the draft, but ultimately you obviously came back to school. Can you just talk about, you know, what influenced that decision and and how you feel about it now? Well, I think it's just the guys on the team that influenced my my decision and and my parents as well. Uh, I didn't want to, you know, only have one year with these guys and and then I leave, you know. uh, I wanted to enjoy, you know, building a bond together for a whole another year with, you know, uh, the receivers, you know. especially the seniors, you know, uh, Freddie, Josh, and Tyree. And so, man, I think just that influenced me. And plus, you know, I wanted to come back and hopefully raise my stock up as well, you know, raise it up and get some better games in, get some better tape on film. Uh, so that's kind of some of the things that I wanted to do. But ultimately, man, it was just because of the team and the guys, the guys that I'm around, you know, the guys I've been around for this time. So I think uh, – that kind of made a, a, a key part in my decision. Well, and at this point, obviously, all signs point to the draft. There's really there's no decision to make when you're when you right. run out of eligibility. Um, right. at, at this stage, what have those conversations been like for you? Is that something you can get a lot of feedback from your dad on, or, or which other people have helped you start to think about what that process looks like? Uh, yeah, my dad, and then um, you know, I know uh, I know some guys uh, that I played with at Ole Miss that had already went through the process. Uh, DK Metcalf and Demarcus Lodge. I've been talking to those guys, and they just tell me, you know, the process. Just enjoy the process. You know, it's gonna be a long process. You know, uh, just enjoy it. You know, just um, focus on what you got to do, and just you know, just compete every day, and you know, just try to be the best that you can. You know, um, ultimately, you know, it's gonna be one team that decides to get you, and whatever team decides to get you, you know, you just gotta roll with it. You know, and just make the best out of the situation. So, it's up in the GMs and and uh in the GMs and the owners' hands at that point. So, uh, you know, he said just be ready for it and just uh, be prepared for what you gotta do. Is there any specific feedback you've received in terms of parts of your game that scouts think you need to work on or things that you really want to try and, and highlight in your game? Anything like that? One thing that uh, I think uh, I, I've heard is that, you know, they want to see my speed more, uh, see how fast I am. So I think that's a thing that, you know, I want to show and thing I need to work on. You know, but other than that, I think, you know, I just need to just focus on me, you know, focus on what I can do, focus on, you know, uh, what I can do to help myself out. And I think all the cars that play themselves, right? I asked Freddie this question last week. I'm curious what your answer will be. Uh, if you could take one skill or an attribute from one of your fellow wide receivers, what would it be and, and who would it be from? Mm, I think if I had to take something from one of my teammates, it would probably be Josh Ham. Hmm. And, I would, and I would take his hand. How come? I mean, I I I think I got some hands too as well, but I mean, <laughs> Josh Ham got some automatic hands, man. Where his hands, you know, when the ball touches his hands, they they like glue. So I think uh, that'll probably be the one person I take, and then I probably uh. I'll take Tyree speed as well. I'll take his speed with me. Wow. Okay. <laughs> uh, Freddie told us he wanted he wanted Kadarius's uh, he wanted his feet. 
He wanted those legs. Oh, he wanted Casey feet. Yeah, he said. He said <laughs> yeah, he, he said if I do if I do what he does, I'd end up breaking my leg. Is what he said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> um, in terms of on the practice field, who's been the toughest guy you've had to match up with in practice over your two years in Florida? Uh, I would say CJ and Marco. I think those those two are are the hardest matches I have in practice. Marco is just, he's just really physical at the line. Uh, he's patient with every move that you make. Uh, CJ Henderson, he's just a fast guy that, you know, uh, that can catch up with you at any point, you know, and take the ball right at your hands. I think those two guys are the uh, most I've been up with. A new guy that I think that's up and coming, man, that I've been going over against in practice ever since he got here is Chester. Chester Kimbrough, man. He's been, uh, he's, I know he's only a freshman, but I think when he gets older, man, he's going to be, he's going to be good, man. So I think he's, He's been out there practicing, competing hard, man. So me and him, when me and him get out there, we go at it. So I think uh, he's one of the guys to watch out for. I know you haven't had a chance to go up against guys maybe multiple times over the course of your career because you haven't been here that long. But are, are there any matchups that that you really that you really loved from a game? And any any guys you particularly enjoyed competing against when the lights were on? Oh uh, yeah, um, I love the matchup when I went up against Greedy Williams last year. That was fun. I would say. This year, I love going up against the corner from Auburn, number four. Even though uh, I didn't have a catch that game, I mean, he was he was still good. We were still out there competing, going hard, you know, running routes, man. Him, us going back and forth, John and stuff like that. I think that was kind of one of the best matchups that you know that I've had. Um, LSU was fun. I mean, they really they didn't talk any trash, so I didn't, you know, I mean, I, but I still enjoyed competing with them, you know. Um, oh, and then last year, I love going up against Florida State too. Stanford Samuels, number. Uh, I love competing against him as well, and and Asante Samuel, those two guys. So uh, I'll see them here in in a couple of days, man. <laughs> so I can't wait to get out there and play and compete against him. Which one was the guy that you uh, that you juked out of his shoes? Uh, I don't know his name. I don't. I don't remember who that was, but I know he was he was a safety. I don't remember his name or who he was, but I just know I remember the safety. <laughs> So you you pulled that move on, and I, I even saw a few days ago people are, are sharing that video again, and you know making all kinds of memes out of it. Um, I'm curious because that was obviously a very embarrassing moment for him. What's the most right. embarrassing moment that you've had on a football field in your career? Could be could be in elementary school, could be last week, anything. Oh man, uh, uh, I would probably have to say Ole Miss, man. My I think this was this is my redshirt freshman year. We're playing Mississippi State, and. Uh, I had a seam route, and I mean, I was wide open, like so wide open. And I think we're down, maybe like I forgot what the score was, but I mean, we weren't down far, so it probably would have been a close game if I would have caught it. But I ran down the seam, man. I mean, wide open. I mean, this is most wide open you can be. And then so when I was when I was running when I was running down the sideline, I stayed through like a perfect pass. I mean, like right in the pocket, like easy. And of course, man, he threw it, man, and I dropped it. I was like, oh, man. So that had to be probably <laughs> the most embarrassing moment I ha- I've had uh, in my career so far. Well, luckily, you haven't had many of those moments in the swamp. I'm, I'm curious, yeah. which swamp moments stand out? Maybe the best swamp moment is still to come on Saturday, but from the everyone you've had prior, what do you what do you think about the most? I think the one I remember the most is like my first game in the swamp when I first came to Florida and I first played against Charleston Southern. I mean, it wasn't a a big game. You know, I mean, it was the big game because it was the first game of the season, but, you know, um, not against like a, a great opponent, but um, I think that was the probably the best atmosphere I've been in. You know, it's just me being there for the first time playing in the Swamp. Uh, I think, yes, my first my first game in the Swamp, they're, they're highly the best. I don't know if you uh, if you break it down to this level when, when you think about your career, but is there a favorite catch or your favorite moment that you've had on the field at Florida? 
Uh, my favorite moment. What was my favorite? Uh, Freddie was really feeling himself. He was talking about his diving catch against uh, against South Carolina. He was talking about <laughs> his time his play against Auburn. He he had a, he had a long list of answers for that question. Yeah, uh, a catch. I would say uh, last year against LSU, that little long the long pass I had against Greedy Williams. I think that was a a good catch. Uh, last year against Vanderbilt, when I scored that slant, not so much the catch, but just the release I did off the line. Man, that was I ain't gonna lie, that was, that was pretty good right there. <laughs> and then. Uh, I would say last year again against Florida State, the diving catch I had, and then when I made the guy fall this year, <laughs> this year it would be um, LSU the slant on the goal line. I think that was a, it was not the catch, just the release. Um, uh, this year, oh, I would say Georgia. Georgia was a catch too that I, you know, because I told Coach Savage, I said Coach Savage, I wouldn't have made that catch without you because when I came to Ole Miss, like I was weak, like I, I like I was not strong at all, like like I was never, you know, what I'm saying like I didn't. I didn't have any muscle, like, and I told her, said, like, I would have never made that catch without you, you know, so I just had to come, had to go up to him and say thank you, man, for, like, putting me through, like, a tough training, tough weights and all that stuff and making me stronger. So I think those probably some of the, you know, highlights uh, since I've been here at the Swamp. I think a lot of people got exposed to Coach Savage during the uh, the HBO special and saw that you guys obviously have a, a really good time down there. Uh, do you have a story about Coach Savage, maybe a funny story, or sometime you just, he worked you to the point where you just couldn't take it anymore? Yeah, man, I say uh, that Valentine's Day workout, man. Oh, my gosh. That's probably one of the hardest workouts I've ever had to endure, man. So uh, I remember just, you know, we like on a beanbag. It's like a it's like a, a, a bone dummy. And you got to squat with it, like, until your time is up, man. I remember, like, I was on the point of throwing up. Like, man, I was in a <laughs> gas. Like, and I remember him just coming over there yelling, like, you know, you can do it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Keep pushing. Don't you ever stop. Don't. He said, don't. Because, you know, you can take a break and, like, sit on the bench. Mm-hmm. like during your time but i mean you're not supposed to but i remember like man i was my mom you know what i'm saying like like my mom was you know like like bro like was telling me to stop but he's like no that's just your mom telling you that like your body your body can do more just go 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 so man i just remember like him pushing me man at the end of the workout i was like man you know if i would have stopped man what if that you know that could have cost me a play you know if we would have played you know you never know when it could have cost me so you know, he said, you never know what player is going to win the game. So he said that he said you could have just won the game, but I kept going. So, you know, I think that's kind of one of a moment, you know, he pushed me through. Mm. On the topic of, uh, of having a good time and goofing off a little bit, I, I want to know what teammate is most likely to pull off a successful prank and which one is the least likely to pull off a successful prank? Tyree is the most. He'll pull off the prank easy. Tyree like to play a lot, so he'll pull it off easy. Like Like what? So like we always got him like we'll always get a food fight. So like we'll just throw. So one time like I threw it on him, you know what I'm saying? So he tried to come get me back one time, but you know he panned it out so smooth like he maybe like waited like two weeks later to get me back. <laughs> and then out of nowhere, man, he came out with a whole plate of food and got me like while I was on a scooter. So <laughs> so you know how to plan him, man. And then I think the least likely to do it is Kyle Pitts. He can't he can't keep water for nothing. He wouldn't you know what I'm saying if you plan a prank, you gonna tell everybody and eventually he's gonna get back to you. So you know it'd be over with. <laughs> I'm curious, are there any athletes or maybe public figures that you admire? Who do you most look up to and why? I say in the, in the NFL right now, I like looking at um, Keenan Allen and A.J. Green. I think those two guys that, you know, I look up to and I try to model my game after because, I mean, their routes and their game is crazy, man, and they uh, know how to, you know, play the game of football. So I think those are some of the guys that I look at. And um, uh, those guys, I watch film on them all the time and just see – you know what they're doing and try to mimic, mimic what they do. I want to take you off the field here for uh, for a couple questions. What do you like to do away from football when you have some free time? 
Uh, I'm pretty a chill person, man. I like to chill with my daughter, you know, uh, chill with my family, chill with my friends. You know, I'm really not big on, like, the going out thing. But, uh, you know, I just like chilling, man, and just enjoying my time, enjoying my friends, enjoying my family, things like that. I'll probably, you know, go to the movies here and there. But other than that, I mean, I'm just probably a chill person. You know, I don't I do not do much. <laughs> Speaking of movies, I want to know, what is your favorite Disney movie? And I imagine with a daughter, you're, you're probably seeing more of them these days or close to them. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of Tangle, a lot of Frozen. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I say, but my, but my favorite movie would have to be um, Hercules. That's probably my favorite animated Disney movie. Really? That's a different one. How come? Yeah. Uh, Cause I mean, you know, he started off as like, people didn't really like him, you know? So like, he, you know, he was like a, you know, he, he was a God at first, but you know, he drank the potion and, you know, he got down to like a demigod. So then, you know, he went to this town, you know, everybody frowned upon him, looked down on him. But then he went to this, you know, like probably the worst town in the movie. And, you know, he became like a god, a king, but then everybody wanted to uplift him there. So I think he just started from the bottom and, you know, came to the top. <laughs> I like that. Uh, if you're chilling a lot, I guess you're probably, you're probably watching some TV as well. So if you had an entire weekend to binge a TV show, any kind, could be on now, could be from the past, what show would you choose? Ooh, Power. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but you should watch it, though. It's called Power, man. It's uh, it's very interesting, bro. It's like, this. I mean, you just got to watch it, man. I say Power. I could watch that like all day. If someone gave you a blank ticket to travel anywhere in the world, where would you choose and why? I'd probably go to Dubai, man. I, I want to see Dubai, see like all the things that's crazy over there, man, because I know I've heard things about it and I would love to experience it and see, you know, all the Lamborghinis and Bugattis and everything like that that's popping out. <laughs> see, you've got to help me with this because I asked Freddie the same question last week and he had the same answer and I was surprised by it then and I'm even more surprised by it now. Is there something going on with you guys in Dubai that, that we don't know about? I don't know, man. I don't know. We always talk about we're going to take a trip out there together. So hopefully one day when we all get some money or something, we can do that. <laughs> <laughs> but right now, we ain't, gonna do, we ain't doing that no time soon. That's right. That's right. Um, what is a, what's a hidden talent or skill you have that most people would not guess? Uh, man, I was a really good basketball player, though. I ain't going to lie. I was good, really in high school, though. Not in high school. Not no more. But I really was a good high school, high school basketball player in my, uh, in my high school down in Tennessee. I would say that's a pretty, I mean, that probably wouldn't be a hidden talent because we go hoop all the time at Southwest Rec. So uh, that probably wouldn't be it. But I mean, I, I would say that, though. So I saw that Van is actually short for your real name. Can you tell us your real full name and then the origin of it? Because you're a junior, but your dad is Sean, not Van. So can you help us with that one? Yeah. So my dad, yeah, like you said, my dad goes by Sean. His his name is his name is Vancey too. But oh, yeah, Van, okay, I got you. Yeah, I got Van, you. But he just goes by Sean. So, but um, I use Van, but it's short. I mean, but my real name is Vancey Vancey Jefferson. And so my actually my grandmother wanted my name to be this my dad's grandma so you know her and my mom was like okay so my mom you know kind of went along with it was like okay i'll name him you know we'll just use it for van short and so um i guess this is what my my grandma was like you know it's french but i don't know if, i don't really don't know for real but <laughs> <laughs> i didn't know if it meant i mean you, you don't you don't meet a vanshi every day so i was curious there was something uh something about it yeah exactly so i just go by van man so i just keep it but i you know uh, that's what I do with it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, finishing up, bringing things back to this week and, and senior day. Uh, you talked about maybe your, your favorite memory in the swamp, just being on the field for the first time. Considering that, what's going through your head right now as you're preparing to come out of that tunnel for the last time? Yeah, man, it's going to be a lot of emotions, man. Um, it's going to be crazy, man. Last time playing in the swamp with some of my guys, you know, I'll never probably play with them ever again, man. So it's going to be a lot of emotions, man. And 
just seeing my family out there on the field with me and uh, seeing Coach Mullen out there, man. I mean, you know, I've only been here for two seasons, man, but, you know, I wish I could have been here for all four. But, uh, you know, God had, God had a plan for it, man, and it all worked out the way it's supposed to work out. But there's going to be a lot of emotions, man. Last game in the fall, I'm playing against Florida State. Um, I want to get the win, of course, first. But um, other than that, man, it's going to be it's going to be bittersweet. Just you know, leaving all my guys, man, and not uh, not being able to play with them again in the swamp. Mm. Florida State's had a, a roller coaster of a year. Obviously, they they let go of Willie Taggart a few weeks ago, so now they're playing for an interim coach, and they they maybe look a little bit different. You played for an interim coach back in 2017 at Ole Miss, so I'm curious how much does it change the dynamic of the team when you've got a mid a, a change like that, and you're suddenly not playing for the guy that you thought you're going to be playing for. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's different, you know, um, like, I mean, I remember the day when Coach Freeze came in a, a team meeting room, it was like, he's done coaching and Coach Luke was named the intern coach, man, it's different, you know, he has his different ways and things like that, um, like, a different thing that, um, that Coach Luke does is, um, when you go to a traveling opponent's, you know, stadium, you know, usually Coach Freeze just goes straight to the hotel, but Coach Luke, you know, he likes to go to the stadium first and look at the um and look at the field and things like that. I mean, it's just different. It's just different things you got to get accustomed to. And uh, I mean, Coach Luke is a great coach, but I just, you know, I had God had different plans for me, and I'm glad I'm a Gator. Couple final things for you. You talk about playing FSU and the importance of getting a win, just you know, for the sake of winning. But beyond that, just talking to your teammates and feeling the energy there. What does it mean to have the chance to not only go undefeated in the swamp this year, but to beat FSU at home for the first time in ten years? Yeah, man, that'll be that'll mean a lot, you know, especially to the guys that've been here for a while. You know, like I said, I've only been here for two years, man. So uh, I know it's gonna mean a lot more to those guys, you know. And I want to help them get that, man. And I want to help, you know. Uh, whatever I can, man, whatever way I can to do that and to beat uh, the Seminoles, man. But like I said, you know, we, that's going to come with execution. And when Saturday comes, man, we'll be ready. Final question for you. I'm curious, once it's all said and done, how do you want Gator Nation to remember you and the time that you spent at Florida? Uh, I just wanted to remember you as, man, a hardworking man who gave uh, who gave us all on every play, man, and uh, that competed, you know, his tail off every down, uh, who gave it all. We'll give it off for Gator Nation for these past two years, man. And uh, just remember you as a great person, man, a, a man of great character, a man of integrity, man. Just, you know, someone they can, you know, call, they can be proud of, man. So, um, like I said, I just, you know, just want to leave leave a legacy here, man. And hopefully, you know, I left a great one and, you know, I, I'm going to miss it, man. And uh, But it's on to the next chapter. Well, Van, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate you sharing all of these, uh, all these great stories and details with us. And we wish you a lot of luck moving forward. All right. Thank you so much. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. The Gators and Seminoles take the field on Saturday night at 7.30, so don't be a turkey and forget to follow the action on the SEC Network and the Gator Sports Network from Learfield IMG College. We'll be back next Thursday with an all-new episode, so don't miss it. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, wishing you and your family a very happy Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving.